0: Well, my name is Greg. For the, those of you that don't know me, I have the privilege of filling in this morning. And um, yeah, it's been... Uh, I haven't had a lot of study time. It's been a hectic week. Um, I was at a conference for work, a bunch, of, a bunch of contractors over in Central Oregon, and that was weird. I got roped into playing a golf tournament. That's a bad idea. If you're thinking about putting together a team for golf... Um, don't invite me. I won't help you at all. But lucky, lucky for me, it was a scramble. So my team carried me and, uh, I didn't hold them back. So, and then I got to meet Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. That was really cool. You know, here, here's a guy that's like, you know, challenging the norms, you know, saying, Hey, we've been giving our kids really bad advice and, you know, we're we're sending them all off to college, whether they need it or not, and, and, you know, he challenges the status quo. And so, in the interest of a segue, we're going to talk about a guy that also challenges the status quo, and that's Jesus. Yes. Jesus came on the scene, he challenged the re- religious leaders of the day, said, hey, you guys have missed it. So, um, anyway, that was kind of corny. All right, um, let's pray one more time. Lord Jesus, I just uh, just pray that you would help me to organize my thoughts. Lord, we just thank you for your word and the truth that lies in it, and I pray this morning that you would speak to us, each on our own level, and meet us right where we're at. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter three, we're gonna be in... Chapters 2 and 3, mostly. But let's start out. We're going to read Galatians 3, 24 and 25. Here at the beginning, I'm going to read this from the New King James, just because there's some differences of the way it's interpreted. Um, but starting verse 24, it says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come... We are no longer under a tutor. In the in the ESV version, it said, instead of tutor, it says guardian, kind of like a, a like a parent or a or a legal guardian. Um, in the King James, it says a schoolmaster. The law is our schoolmaster. I kind of like that because the law seems a little harsh, kind of like a schoolmaster, you know, with the yardstick wrapping your fingers. Um, So uh, I like that. But the law was our tutor or schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor or schoolmaster. All right, so we're gonna break this down a little bit. We're gonna jump back. uh, uh, We're gonna go back to chapter two here in a minute. But um, first I wanted to talk about Well, let me back up. Like I said, it's been a busy week, so my thoughts are not really organized, so you'll have to bear with me. Hopefully it makes sense. I'm going to try not to confuse you, but as I started studying all of this stuff, I figured, you know, really, I should, it's really a study of the whole book of Galatians, so I'm trying to trim it down into just a little bit, so... um, We can get you out of here at a decent time. Uh, I've got like four pages of notes, so that's gonna be about four minutes of teaching or four hours, one of the two. Um, One of the gifts I inherited from my dad was the ability to stand up and speak in front of people. He was a pastor. So that means I did not learn brevity from him. So it could be a long time, but, uh, or I could just ramble and it'll make no sense and you guys will leave. (laughs) So, um, what I want to talk to you about today is kind of a dangerous teaching. It, it feels almost reckless, and I'll explain that here in a minute, but it's dangerous only if we don't understand the meaning and depth of our salvation. So, I just want to frame that. If something sounds reckless, well, it is, if you are not Digging deep into the meaning of your salvation. We have been saved by the work of Jesus Christ. Completely. I'll touch on this later, but we are positionally perfect. We are robed in the righteousness of Christ. We can't get any more righteous. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see us. He doesn't see our shortcomings. He doesn't see our sin. It's all been wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and for that I am very thankful. So a little background of the book of Galatians. Galatia was not one church. It was a region in kind of modern-day Turkey, kind of north-central region, and, um, and a lot of non-Jews, Gentiles, came to believe in Jesus Christ. And... Uh, But then, as the church grew and everything, Jewish leaders came in and said, Congratulations, you got saved, you Gentile sinner. Now, you must get circumcised. Now, you must take on all of Judaism and follow the law completely. They were called Judaizers. The problem with that they, they probably meant well, but the problem with that is they were adding to the work of the cross. They're saying the cross is not enough. You've not been saved completely. You're not really saved until you do all this other stuff. And that's, that's what Paul is addressing here. So we're going to go back to chapter 2, starting with verse 15. Don't get too excited that I changed the page here. There's still a lot here. All right. And I'm going to I'm going to go back to the ESV version. I was telling somebody beforehand I'm going to try to do this all from the Bible on my phone. That's uh that's a little scary because it's hard to just flip to the right place. I have to push buttons and everything. If I push the wrong one, I'm going to get the wrong verse and it could be really weird. So Let's read here, starting with verse 15 of chapter 2. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So this is Paul talking. He says, um, "He says we are, we are Jews by birth and, uh, and you guys are not. In fact, he calls them Gentile sinners. I, I think I'd probably be offended. But, uh, but he's making a point here goes on, he says, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. So he's tackling this issue head on. He's saying, we're Jews by birth, and even we know that the law does not save us. We've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And then I like this. It says, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Psalm 143.2 says, for no one living is righteous before you. No one is righteous before the Lord. Because, you know, in, as David was writing that psalm, he was under the law. He recognized that even through the law, he could not attain righteousness um, the only righteousness we can attain is that of Jesus Christ through the work of the cross. I'm I'm really glad that Pastor Chris, who's walking us through the book of Romans right now, I think that's like that's like undergrad work for the Christian. it's, it's absolutely essential. The book of Romans, read it, and you won't understand it. Read it again. And you still want to understand it. Read it again and again and again. A little bit will stick. But it is so great. As you digest the book of Romans, you start to understand, you know, nobody is justified before God apart from Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, no one's justified but we've been crucified with Christ. And he's given us his life. He's poured out his grace upon us. And in so doing, he's imputed his righteousness. Basically, deposited all of Christ's righteousness into your spiritual bank account. How great is that? But none of that comes through the law. So, um, moving on here. So, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So there's so much here and, and I've been wrestling, you know, for the past 24 hours of, you know, really how to break this down and it, it could literally take weeks. I'm not going to do that today. So I encourage you to just read this and study it on your own and break it down. Look at some commentaries. But the, the principle here is we have been crucified to, with Christ. It, it is no longer our sin nature that is living in us. It's Christ's life given to us so we are new creatures. Sounds great. But I yelled at my wife this morning. I kicked the dog. I'm not really living a Christ-like life. Well, that's the problem. We still got this, this dead man's body we're carrying with us until we go to heaven. Um, and I'm not even going to try to break that down right now. But it's, 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 it's the, the struggle of being a Christian. You have this, this, this old nature that just keeps rearing its ugly head and, and you do the things that you don't really want to be doing um, and it's, it's tough. But if our righteousness comes through the law, if our righteousness comes from works, from performance, it says then Christ died for no purpose. He died in vain. Well, we know that's not the case, right? So remember, I mentioned it earlier, we are positionally perfect in Jesus. His righteousness has been given to us. We're robed in his righteousness. In fact, we've been adopted into God's family. We are called sons and daughters. So that's just an amazing thing. And, and I, I really think it's going to take us all of eternity to understand that. And that's why I say, like the book of Romans, we, we don't really understand it. You know, I mean, we, we dig through it and we, we understand, okay, well, I, I, I'm, I've been crucified with Christ. You know, uh, grace has been poured out on me. I'm not condemned. And Um, It's not just undergrad work for the Christian, it's also your postgraduate work and your doctorate and your entire life of trying to understand this in all of eternity. That's why, like I was praying after worship, it's not going to be boring when we get to heaven and we see things perfectly and we grasp what Jesus has actually done for us. In Revelation, it talks about us casting our crowns before him and saying, we're not worthy. Only you are worthy. And I I think it's probably going to be, heaven will probably start out with about a couple thousand years of just worship. And then we'll get up and ah, we'll fall down again and worship again. I mean, once we see him and we see what he's done for us, it's going to blow our minds. Amen? All right. So... Remember, as we move into chapter 3 here, these Judaizers came into Galatia and said, okay, well, it's not enough to just put your faith in Jesus. You'll also have to keep the law. So, chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. Some harsh language there. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. So it's like you guys know that Jesus died on a cross to save you from your sins. Who's bewitched you? It says let me ask you this, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's the same question for us today. Did we receive the spirit of God by working and being good and and doing good things and and never doing any bad things? Absolutely not. We, we received the Spirit of God by coming to faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing that apart from Jesus, I am a wretch. But he paid the price. So that's how we got saved. And then verse 3, it says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit... Are you now perfected by the flesh? That was the problem in Galatia where they were trying to perfect their faith by, by doing the works of the law. They were trying to gain better standing in God's eyes by doing the works of the law. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, there's a lot of things wrong with that. We have been freed from the law. doesn't mean the law is bad. You know, as, as we walk through the, the book of Romans in, in the coming weeks, we're going to see that the, the, the law was not bad. It was that the flesh was weak so that no man could be justified by the works of the law. There are good principles in, in, the, in the Mosaic law. There, there are great things in there. That it's interesting also that there are these wonderful pictures in the law that are really pictures of Jesus Christ and his relationship with us. Every, every bit of the law, in one way or another, does one of two things. That either one, shows us our need for Jesus or gives us a picture of Jesus and, and what he would be doing. So Galatians 5:16 says, "Walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to skip down to Galatians three, verse 10 through 14. This is what Paul says about trying to keep the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who, ha- who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So this, this, this is the problem I'm having is every one of these verses is packed with so much theology it's, it's just amazing. But the basic thing I wanted to draw out of this is if we choose to work, uh, try to prove our right standing with the Lord by works of the law, we have to keep every single point of the law without fail. Otherwise, we've fallen short. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All not not most, not everybody who's not a preacher or everybody who's not a Jewish priest. It says all. Even those who are doing the very best to do every part of the law has still fallen short. And that's why the cross. That's why Jesus came and paid the price for us. Now what are we going to do? Are we going to be like the Galatians? and try to add to that to gain the right standing with God? Or, or are we like, okay, God, thank you for this gift. Uh, let me pay you back for it. No, it's a gift. You don't, you don't pay him back for it. You know, if, if Matt here just has tons of money, and he walks up to me and said, Greg, you, you, you're great, and I uh, really like you. And uh, I know you haven't been the perfect friend to me, but, you know, I just want to pay off your mortgage. And and I accept that gift from him. How weird would it be if I like, okay, Matt, well, I'm going to make monthly payments to you and pay you off on this you know, uh, in, over the next 75, 80 years. Oh, wait a minute, I'll be dead. Um, how, how ridiculous... Would that be if he was like, you know, just out of love, wanting to bless me with all of this money and pay off my mortgage? I'm looking forward to that, by the way. <laughs> it would be ridiculous. But that that doesn't even begin to compare to the debt that's been canceled for us by Jesus Christ. Are we now going to, by trying to keep the law and, and setting up all these rules and everything, try to pay him back for that? No, we shouldn't do that. It's done. But this is why this is dangerous. This is why this teaching is dangerous. You could be listening to me and you say, you know what? That's awesome. Sounds like I can just go live my life the way I want because positionally I'm perfect in Jesus Christ. Absolutely not. Paul talks about that in Romans 6. He says, uh, should we go on sinning that grace may abound? God forbid, that, that actually would show our lack of understanding of our salvation. So, so, going back to the verses I opened up with, Galatians 3, 24 and 25, this, the idea of this schoolmaster. So, the, the purpose of the law was to show us Mankind's need for a savior. That's the, that's the entire purpose of the law. I can't remember the reference, but it's like, it, it says the law is like a looking glass or a mirror so we could see our wretched condition, our sinful nature. We can see that we don't measure up to God's standard. And uh, now that can be really condemning, but enter Jesus and the cross, and it's, it's like, okay, well, then there's obviously only one way. And we put our faith in him, and it's, and it's good. And, and like I said earlier in Galatians 5.16, it says, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I'm trying to gather my thoughts here. In fact, I should probably take notes. I brought a pen, I've got a blank piece of paper. I'll, I'll take some notes here and, and complete this and get back to you in a few minutes. <laughs> um, so let me give you an example as you're growing up, you're living in your parents' house and you have to abide by their law. If you don't, there's consequences. And the consequences might be severe. And, uh, and sometimes you feel the weight of the law come down on you. So you keep the law to avoid those consequences. But then you graduate from high school, you go out of the house, maybe you go to college, and the law is not there with you. Dad's not there saying, better walk the straight and narrow, or else you're kind of on your own. And what happens to a lot of kids, they go off to college, it's like, I can do whatever I want after a while they find out, well, maybe that wasn't so wise. Maybe there was a good principle in the law. You know, this analogy breaks down after a while. But the danger for Christians is because we're walking in the flesh and we're thinking of this in in human terms, we try to set up a new law for ourselves. So, I don't think any of us are really in danger of trying to keep the, the Mosaic Law. So once in a while, there are, there are people that come into churches and, and try to say, well, you can't really be a Christian until you start doing this and this and this. You have to observe all the feasts and, and all that. No, the feasts speak of Jesus. We need to immerse our lives in Jesus. Um, but th- that does happen. But in general... This church, especially, we're not in danger of, of trying to impose Mosaic law. But there's this great and terrible history of Christians trying to impose their own law. How many of you have heard of the the Holiness movement? It's about 150 years old, maybe a little older than that. Started mid to late 1800s, um, and I. Let me say this before I tell you the things wrong with it. I believe most of it was very well-intentioned. It's like, we want to be more like Jesus. I think that was the heart. But the, the holiness movement here, I've got to find my notes here. The holy mo- uh, holiness movement, if I just boil it down to just a couple of things, was, okay, you get saved. But then you need a second work from the Holy Spirit for full sanctification. You're not really fully a Christian until you, until you have this second blessing from the Holy Spirit. And, um, and it was made to, to sound like it was actually a work of the Holy Spirit. But what it became was a law imposed on Christians by the church. And it became the evidence of true salvation. You weren't necessarily really saved until you showed that, that, that you, were, you were truly sanctified. Two things happened from that. A lot of people felt like they were substandard Christians because they weren't performing as well as so-and-so. And so-and-so kind of started getting this feeling of pride. Hey, I'm doing better. I'm doing better than Peter over here. I mean, look at him. I mean, he's, he's a mess. I'm a much better Christian. That's the danger. It appeals to the flesh one way or the other. Here are some of the, some of the rules that were set up. Men, do not ever let your hair touch your ears. Matt agrees. <laughs> uh, do not let it touch your ears. Do not let it touch your collar. So mullets are out. It's got to be high and tight. Um, wear a suit. These are literal rules in churches. Women, make sure you wear only dresses. Do not cut your hair short. No makeup. And, God forbid, no pants. All of you, men and women alike, don't ever go to a movie. Never listen to rock and roll. Don't even think about bringing rock and roll elements into church. No dancing. In each one of these things, there are elements of wisdom not enough to make it a rule you don't these are not from the bible my wife grew up in a church in finland that was went so far as to say that men should wear suits but they should not wear a tie because a, a tie was i don't know too flashy um yeah, it, it was really weird Women shouldn't smoke, but the men had a special smoking room attached to the church. If you can imagine that. I I mean, show me this in the Bible, please. I I would like to see it. Um, And no musical instruments. Musical instruments were evil. Can you imagine that? I would die. I'm a musician. (laughs) And not so much a singer. (laughs) Mostly an instrumentalist. So I I bring up all of this to say we have to be careful. We are not saved or even made more righteous by our works. We're not going to gain greater standing with Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. We operate in the flesh. I grew up in my parents' house. There were rules. I knew the boundaries. You know, I drive down the highway. I know the rules. I know what, where the boundaries are. I know that if I exceed a certain speed, I am at risk. And uh, um, and if I'm, yeah, there's no cops around, I'll be fine. Well, there's still other risks too. You know, driving faster, more chances of things going wrong. You know, um, we operate in the flesh and so we like to know where the boundaries are so we can either stay within them or so we can just blow right by them and say we don't care, right? That's our fleshly nature. And and then we like to have this checklist. Okay, well, I did this, I did that. Or we like to have the checklist so we can crumple it up and throw it in the garbage like I don't care. But here's here's... Here's what I struggle with. So when I think of this verse that says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, I always think of the desires of the flesh. Well, that's out and out sin. That's like, you know, pride, lust, greed, anger, you know, sin. That's that's the product of the flesh. And yes, that's right. But I think there's another part of it that I've missed. It was like, we like to operate on a performance basis. We like to have that checklist. We like to know how we're doing. We like to grade ourselves. And I don't think that's part of walking in the spirit. So we've already established we have been freed from the law. We are not under the law. We've established that it's not our works that save us. In Ephesians chapter 2, we've been saved by grace through faith. And that's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. That's how we've been saved. So now, like I said, the danger is we how do we keep ourselves in check? Well, I think the key is the walking in the spirit. So what does walking in the Spirit look like? Let's say you're a little kid, you know, about three, four years old, and you're, you're walking around the city with mom and dad. What would it be if you just stay, you know, 30, 40, 50 feet away from mom and dad, and there's cars going around and crosswalks and, you know, just chaos and unsavory people walking the sidewalks and all of that, that probably wouldn't be good. Are you still a child of mom and dad? Absolutely. But you're probably in danger. But what's much better is if you're walking right in step with mom and dad, maybe grabbing both of their hands and just walking. You're not gonna get in trouble unless, God forbid, mom and dad uh, lead you astray. But I think that's what it is. ...for walking in the Spirit. We walk so close to the Lord... ...and, and just endeavor to be engrossed in that relationship with Him... That, that, ...that we just don't go astray. He places new desires in our hearts. He, he transforms us by the renewing of our minds... ...as we're digesting the truths of His Word. It's not, it's not a system of rules but we start to see the principles that he lays out. So years ago, I went to a church. It was in downtown Astoria. It's not there anymore. Um, it was in the late 80s, early 90s. And um, you know, I was pretty, pretty active in the church and uh, helping out with the youth group and, and uh, playing some music on the worship team. And, and uh, it was a great, vibrant church. But I was really, really troubled That before the service and after the service, there was a group of folks that would go outside on the sidewalk by the entrance to the church and smoke their cigarettes. I grew up in a pastor's home. I was saved when I was six. Never really understood my salvation. I don't know why that is. Maybe I'm a little dense. But uh, really, I was a closet legalist. So I'm looking at these folks standing around there, and I was like, they gotta quit doing that. that. That looks bad for the church. Bunch of guys smoking cigarettes around the door of the church, that's horrible. I wouldn't say I heard audibly from God, but he really checked me on that. And it was as if he was saying to me at that moment, what if that's the last thing they're struggling with? And they know it's not good for their body. It doesn't say don't smoke cigarettes in the Bible. It says take care of your body. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit and things like that, but who cares if they're smoking? They're here and they're worshiping Jesus and they're, and they're, they're trying to live as the Lord was, have them live. Now that was 30 some odd years ago and I think now I'm just starting to understand some of this that we as Christians will set up rules for ourselves but we also set up rules for other people. And I'm I'm not talking about you know gross sin that that God says do not live according to this lifestyle, you know um you know that's that's something we we need to, in love, steer our brothers and sisters away from, steer them back to the Lord and, and have, encourage them to really submit their lives to the Lord in, in that area. Yeah, I mean, well, in every area, obviously. But, uh, um, but what I'm talking about is, okay, in the holiness movement, And still today, you have a lot of churches where if you don't show up in a suit and tie or a dress and high heels, you're going to be frowned upon. I could walk in there like this, and they're like, oh, look, a sinner came to church. Seriously. We're not in danger of that here, by the way. But do we look at it the opposite? somebody comes in nicely dressed like they're going to a nice Southern Baptist church or something like that. And you know, they're in their Sunday best and, and, and the wife has the nice hat on and flowers and, and the guy is you know, in his silk suit and just looking really good, clean shaven here, no beard, no scruff like this. His hair doesn't touch his ears. And we look at him and say, wow, you really don't understand, do you? Because we are passing the same kind of judgment on people. We're setting up these rules. Like, you know, to be a real Christian, you have to cast off all of that. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's between them and the Lord. And so, I think when when the Bible is talking about walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh, I think it's like... Walk with the Lord and allow him to put these things, write, write his laws on your heart. Don't set up rules for yourself or th- for other people in, in, in a dangerous manner. Like I said earlier, this, it, this teaching this way feels a little bit reckless because, because there is the danger that we're like, I'm free from the law, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything right, and God still loves me. Well, technically, that's true. But like the child that leaves the law of mom and dad's house and goes out there and lives recklessly, there will be consequences. So there's biblical wisdom that must be applied to your life. But there's another thing. If we understand the depth of our salvation, we understand the the magnitude of... Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, wouldn't we want to live a life of gratitude and, and do nothing that would grieve him? It's like, it's like, Matt, you just paid my mortgage. I'm going to do everything I can to please you. I, I can never repay you, but, but I want to please you. You know, let me help out mowing your grass or something just, you know, just out of gratitude, you know? It seems, it's really small compared to paying off a mortgage, but it's the least I can do. Well, maybe it's the most I can do. I'm not a very good grass mower. But, <laughs> but it, does that make sense? Our life should be one of gratitude based on the magnitude of what God has given us, not a life of law and rules and, and judgment. Because you will be eternally frustrated if you try to do that. Because I guarantee you, you will fall short. Or somebody around you will fall short and you'll be looking your nose down at them. And you'll be passing judgment and condemning them. And like, uh, well, then you just failed there personally too. You know, there's, it, it's, that's not the life we're called to live. So like I said, in the modern church, legalism can creep in. It'll creep in subtly. We try to try to formulate what a Christian should really look like. And then we set up these rules for ourselves and for others, and they lead to two things. One is condemnation, the other is pride. Both are not from the Lord. We have ideas of what Christians should dress, or the way Christians should dress. Now, there are principles. We should dress modestly. We should not be, like, spending all of our money on, on the nicest clothes to the detriment of, you know, putting food in our kids' mouths, you know, things like that. I mean, there's, there's principles. Do we set up political views if you're a Christian, you're going to vote this way. Or if if you're a Christian, you're going to take this stance on this issue. Well, there, there are principles in the word that should guide our political views. But there's no hard and fast, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt vote X. It's not there. And I think as Americans, we... We, we tend to equate Christianity with certain political bents. Work out your own salvation. Hey, if you're a Christian, you will pull your kids out of public school and homeschool them. There's a nugget for you. No, you should pray about what the Lord would have you do for your kids, not somebody else's kids. You know, for example... My wife and I talked about homeschool. My kids are grown. they're out of the house. We've messed them up thoroughly.. You know, <laughs> they, they'll spend a whole lifetime in, in therapy, and you know, on their faces before the Lord, trying to get right. No. Uh, but we, we talked, you know, very early on, it's like, I, I don't think homeschool's for us. You know it, it, My wife's not wired that way. Um, I was working outside the house, so that wasn't going to work. But we had them. We had them in a Christian school for several years, and then they finished out their school career in in public school, and they were thoroughly shocked, and uh, and uh, you know it was good. They were still in, in our house, and we were able to help them navigate how to deal with non-Christians. Um, that was our path. Not going to say what you should do. You should lay it before the Lord, but. We can start leaning one way really heavy. This is what you should do if you're a Christian. No, don't do that. We can also lay a burden on people saying, if you're a good Christian, I know you're saved, but if you're going to be a good Christian, you, you really should be serving. Well, it's a principle that I, I think is clear in the word, but we should not be laying a hard and fast rule, you know, mentally or in our conversation or anything like that. So while we're not going the direction of the holiness movement and telling people how they should dress and this and that and the other thing, we too are in danger of, of setting up these rules. You know, we can set up rules for ourselves. It's like, okay, from now on, I've, I've really been slacking on my devotion. So from now on, I'm going to get up at 4.30 a.m. I'm going to spend two hours reading the word and praying. And I'm only going to listen to Christian music throughout the day. And, and if somebody else at work is playing some ACDC, I'm going to go smash the radio. Um, no, 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 no. You, first of all, you're not going to get up at 4.30 every day unless you're, you're super, superhuman. Um, and uh, at some point you're going to fail. Or if you do it perfectly, you're going to feel like, yeah, look at me. I am so good. I got this. And then you start getting prideful. And what's the Bible say about pride? It comes before a fall. So hopefully what I'm saying makes sense. We should immerse ourselves in Jesus. And he will guide us to righteous living. And it may not look the same as your brother or sister. Or your, your wife or your husband. But we should prayerfully consider how we should be walking. So what should govern our lives? We, we, we've, we've established that we like to have rules. We like to have structure. We, all of that. Well, we, are, we have a new nature in Christ. That's first. You know, there's always this struggle between the new nature and the old nature, but remember, you have a new nature. Remind yourself of this often. How do you remind yourself of that? Just be in the Word. You'll just see it over and over and over. Number two, we should be living a life of gratitude Gratitude to Jesus, not to your pastor, not to the person who led you to the Lord, not to the worship team, living a life of gratitude to Jesus, the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, rose up, conquered sin and death, and gave us new life. Like I said, it will take all of eternity for us to even begin to grasp the magnitude of that. And then that, that walk with the Lord, step by step, hand in hand, and just don't allow any space between you and him. And that, that's gonna keep you on the right path. As soon as you start to let a little distance occur between you and the Lord, that's where you're in danger. So with all of that, I would like us to take communion. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and uh, lead us in a song. And then uh, as as they're leading the song, just come up and grab the elements and go back to your seat. But we'll, we'll take communion together here at the end. But, but as they're coming up here, I'd, look, I'd like to go to one other verse. It's in Psalm 56, verses 12 and 13. It says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. So he's the one that's delivered us from death. He's kept us from falling. And he... He's the one that helps us walk in the light of life. So, as we're preparing for communion, just ask that that would be your prayer. Just one of gratitude to our Lord who has, who has saved us. He's given us new life. He's, he's saved us from certain death and destruction. All right. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for everything you've done for us, even though we... Barely grasp it at times, Lord. As we prepare our hearts for communion, and just pray that you just speak to each one of us about how we we might be walking in legalism, you know, for ourselves or for other people, and just help us to surrender that to you, but also help us to be reminded of what we've been saved from and how great a work you've done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.